O Lord our God, we live in a time indeed when the heathen rage and take counsel and conspire against thee and against thine anointed. And we see all around us their plans to overthrow thy rule and break thy bands asunder. But according to thy word, O Lord, thou who sittest in the circle of the heavens dost laugh, thou dost hold them in derision. Teach us, O Lord, to be mindful at all times that thou art on the throne to share in thy holy laughter at the plannings of men and with a holy boldness to be more than conquerors as we face these, the enemies of thy kingdom. Bless us now as we give ourselves to the study of thy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture is from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12 as we continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount. And our subject today, of course, in view of these verses, is judgment. Judgment and action. Matthew 7, 1 through 12. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them." For this is the law and the prophets. One of our problems sometimes as we read the Bible is that we fail to see continuity where it plainly exists. The Bible was divided in the Christian era into chapters and verses. This was a very sound decision. Because since people constantly use and refer to specific passages, it made it easier for them to be located. Imagine what it would be like if I were here with a Bible without chapter and verse divisions and told you that I was going to speak on such and such a passage. You would have to 
thumb through all of Matthew to locate the passage. This is a matter of convenience. But while the chapter and verse divisions are generally very sound, what we fail to see is that they involve not an, a division that gives you a new subject, but a different section of the same thing. As a result, in order to understand what our Lord is talking about here, we need to remember what he was talking about in the previous verse. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That sums up what he was saying previously. So now our Lord goes on to concern himself with how we as his followers are to deal with evil. We live in a world of evil. How are we going to cope with it? Well, in Judea, in our Lord's day, there were Pharisees. And the attitude of the Pharisee was to look down his nose at everybody else. I thank thee, Lord, that I am not as one of these. His perspective was holier than that. He enjoyed calling attention to the faults of people because the more faults he could find in someone else, the better he looked by comparison, which is a cheap way to gain virtue. On the other hand, you had a large segment of the population that while hating the Romans and the Greeks, nonetheless were very much given to liking their way of life. The Romans ruled the area. The Greeks had some time previously. And the culture of both was very much there. As a matter of fact, the language of commerce, the language between the various races that came and went was Greek, koine or business Greek, which is the Greek of the New Testament. And that part of the world, then and now, people normally spoke and in many areas still speak at least two languages. We have the luxury of being confined to one language because we live in a large country with no major foreign groups coming and going constantly. If people have a problem, we expect them to learn English, but not so then. Thus, the culture of these foreigners had been picked up and the Roman baths with everything that went with it, and the Greek uh, culture and everything went with the Greek culture, very much appealed to a sizable segment of the Jews. Many commonly had two names. We encounter that even among the disciples. Thomas was also Didymus. You had one language giving you one name that you used in your business world and your contact with foreigners and another language that you used among your own people and another name. Paul almost certainly had 
a triple Roman name, the last part of which was Paulus. This was commonplace. As a result, you had, on the one hand, your Pharisees with their holier-than-thou attitude. On the other hand, you had the infection of the culture of the empire, which had already been subjected to a sexual revolution, which had already taken a very liberal attitude towards homosexuality, which was very much given to accepting anything and everything. Anything goes. What's a little sin between friends? So our Lord had both these kinds of people to deal with just as we do today. Just as we do today. We have it right now in the fact that because some groups like Moral Majority, Christian Voice, and others took a stand, asked for the registration of great numbers of Christians to help win the elections, which they did, but they neglected the state level. So across the country we have a sorry picture on the state level, although an improved one on the federal level. This impetus on the part of some Christians led others to go the other direction. So we have a great number across the country who have done nothing in recent months but criticize those who went out and voted and got involved in the social gospel. They will say that it is a sin to vote for ungodly men and all we have running for office are ungodly men. Therefore, anyone who votes is a compromiser, and a sinful man. There are a very great number like that. As a matter of fact, I've been denounced by a couple such lately. So you see, we have the extremes. Those who are moving into Phariseeism of the worst sort, and on the other extreme, those who want total toleration of everything. So our Lord here was dealing with a reality that confronts us today. He begins with a verse which is one of the most abused verses in Scripture. Judge not that he be not judged. You hear this constantly. For a while I was collecting, before we moved up here, uh, letters to various periodicals. Then I gave up on it. There was just too much of this by various people who wrote savagely and harshly against somebody who said something they didn't like and they would say, judge not lest he be judged. What a hate monger you are, etc., etc. A nasty character because you judged where I didn't want judgment. Now, of course, all such usage is out of context. After all, our Lord says in John 7:24, "Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Do not make judgments in terms of the looks of things, the length of a person's nose, or whether you like that kind of person or not, but in terms of God's justice. Our Lord here is speaking to the Pharisees. 
with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why do you see the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Well, the imagery is ridiculous, deliberately so. Wherever our Lord went, the Pharisees were there to keep an eye on him. No one could mistake what the reference was and to whom. And no doubt everybody laughed at the idea of a speck of dust in somebody else's eye being criticized by a Pharisee who had a beam, a plank, in his own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of the, out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So our Lord very definitely makes clear to the Pharisees the fallacy of this false righteousness, a false righteousness that takes a holier-than-thou attitude I'm better than everybody else because I judge more people than anybody else. I can see faults where other people don't. But on the other hand, do you have those who are totally tolerant? I know one prominent pastor who, by the way, was a guest pastor here a few years ago in this county. And I met him to renew old acquaintances, not friendship, and he was very unhappy to see me. <laughs> but when someone spoke about joining the church and said he didn't know whether he should, he liked the fellowship, but he didn't know whether he believed anything, and the pastor said, well, we're all confused, so join us. The church of unholy confusion, perhaps, should have been the name in other words, let anybody and everybody in. Have no discrimination. Also, people who with their love bit are ready to say anything and everything is acceptable. Our Lord says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. This passage is not a popular one with religious liberals. Just think of it, our Lord called a certain class of people that they want tolerated dogs and swine. That's not very loving. And we're supposed to love everybody and see the good in everybody, which means overlook the bad. So our Lord here is very clearly speaking out against all those who gain a false righteousness by being harsh, by ruling out most people and saying, we are the frozen chosen or the holy elite. And those who refuse to judge righteous judgment, you have to call murder, murder, adultery, adultery. Theft, theft. Now that's righteous judgment. And the Bible says you have to call it that 
when it is your own son who perpetrates it. There can be no exemption because you judge in terms of God's judgment. In New York about 10, 12 years ago, when I was there as a member of the board of the Christian Freedom Foundation for the annual meeting, there were a couple of speakers. One was Dr. Wormbrand, the Romanian Jew who became a Christian and a pastor and was sentenced to prison. And when he was able to get to this country subsequently, spoke before Congress and described very clearly what was going on under Marxism. He got up and criticized the above-ground church, which is run by the KGB, the secret police in the Soviet Union. And he said the real church of Jesus Christ is underground in the prisons, meeting secretly. The other man who was a liberal got up with a love bit and said, well, how could we criticize these men? And he mentioned Nikodim, for one, of the Russian church. And what a fine gentleman he was. And how could we condemn him when we did not know how we might under the same circumstances be led to compromise. And we too might surrender to the KGB and be willing to be their tool under the threat of torture. So he said, since we don't know whether we would stand or not, we would have no right to condemn him. At that point, Dr. Wormbrand jumped to his feet in protest. And he said, it is possible that tonight you and I may commit adultery. And it is possible that every one of us here in this room might sometime in our lifetime commit adultery. But that does not mean that we refuse to condemn adultery or to say that it is a sin. Because we cannot judge in terms of what we might or might not do, but what God requires. Now that's what it means to judge Righteous judgment. This is what our Lord requires. Then he goes on to say, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And so our Lord says, all right, you have a problem as you face evil and as you face it in the form of total toleration as well as open violation. How are we going to face such a world? With toleration or self-righteous judgment? No. We have to face it in the power of God and to bring about a change in men and in nations. And how we, do we do it? We ask, we seek, we knock. In the confidence that God will hear and answer prayers. And then our Lord makes it very blunt. 
What man is there of you whom if his son ask red will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, being sinners, know how to give good gifts to your children, you're not going to give them a stone for bread or a snake for a fish. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? And our Lord has told us what asking means. Ask, seek, knock. It means being determined, wanting it with all our heart, mind, and being, not just saying, Lord, I think it'd be nice if you'd do thus and so for me and for my family or my children or grandchildren. No. You ask, you seek, you knock, because this is what you want. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Here we have the golden rule. Few things have been more misunderstood and more abused. And we are told that we find it in China and we find it in India and in a number of places all over the world. Well, we do and we don't. First of all, no one has bothered to investigate the fact that did they borrow this from the Bible? We first encounter it in Leviticus in the days of Moses when God gives it in the law. And there is reason to believe that it was borrowed, but even more, in every other religion it appears in negative form. Do not do unto others. Do not do unto others what you would not have them do unto you. And it means something radically different. Here it means that you apply the law of God to others and to yourself. You respect their right to life. Thou shalt not kill. The sanctity of their home, thou shalt not commit adultery. Their property, thou shalt not steal. Their reputation, thou shalt not bear false witness. And you do not covet or try to obtain by fraud anything that is thy neighbor's. But what does it mean in other religions? Why, in China and in India, for example, it means that you don't do a thing for them. Why? If you have a bad karma, you need to work it out. So if you're suffering, it's probably because in your previous reincarnation you were suffer. Therefore, if you try to help this man who is suffering or undergoing torture or is lying there by the side of the road, you're going to interfere with his karma. So it is a sin in India and in China to help somebody. It's a sin. It's one of the few sins they have. So you do nothing for them. Is that the golden rule that we know? Far from it. So anyone who tells you that the golden rule is common to all religions, tell them it is not. What they mean by it is something radically different. In fact, 
You can find in some of these religions the plain statement that if you rescue or save another man who's in trouble, you are cursing him. You are cursing him. The golden rule, therefore, has a meaning that varies from culture to culture, from religion to religion, and we cannot confuse it with what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is in conformity with the law of God. Let us bow our heads now in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we thank Thee for the plain speaking of Thy Word. Give us grace to understand it, to apply it, and to rejoice in it. Bless us this day in our fellowship and watch over us and our loved ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Are there any questions now about our study? Yes. How did that um, uh, philosophy, like in some religions, in China and in India specifically, uh, did that work from this side of the golden rule? If you, if you help somebody, then you're, if you take care of them, you're responsible for them for the rest of their life. Yes. You know, is that from that same basic idea? Yes. In other words, uh, I've been told by missionaries who in the old days before Red China worked in China that if somebody fell overboard on a riverboat, from a riverboat, and you insisted on the boat stopping and had the prestige whereby you could do it, you were responsible for them for the rest of your life, for their care and their support. And the person you rescued felt the same way. You saved my miserable life. Life is nothing but misery. All right, now you take care of me. So it was a real problem to save a person's life. You then had a welfare uh, person on your hand for life who believed and the entire community believed you had to care for. Now, we look on life as a good gift from God. In fact, the scripture speaks of husband and wife as heirs together of the grace of life. Life is a gift from God, a grace. But in other religions, it is very commonly regarded as a curse. So, when you give the gift of life to somebody, you're only giving a curse. Exactly. Yes. This is why there is no such thing as charity in the religions of the Far East. It is non-existent. Any other questions? Yes. What's the meaning of that phrase, the law and the prophets? The law is a term, Torah, which is often used to apply to the whole of the Bible. So sometimes the term law will refer to something that was said by a prophet. At other times you have the term the law and the prophets. And when it is so used, it refers to the books of Moses, and then to all the other books of the Bible as the prophets, including the historical writings. And the prophets are seen as people then who called for the 
faithful application of the law and rebuked those in high places who departed from the law. Any other questions or comments? Yes. Um, I heard a radio program, uh, and a person being interviewed was uh, somebody who's was saying how much influence the Eastern religions have had in this, in the young people, in the colleges, and so on. And um, uh, and this idea of being of promoting, talking about promoting the easy dying, easy um, suicide as a noble thing, and um, that must then that's why those Eastern religions and our people are in such sad shape if they cannot have help from anyone. That's right. Well, you are right in that since World War the Eastern religions have become exceedingly popular in this country. Very popular. Now, it's a very uh, ominous fact in that before the fall of Greece and then before the fall of Rome, the Eastern religions became very prevalent in both cultures. They are suicidal. They have been called... Uh, religions of world and life negation, whereas Christianity is called a world and life affirming faith. In other words, we feel the world is good and life is good, even though sin and the fall have uh, wrought harm. But to the Eastern religions, the uh, salvation is deliverance from life, deliverance from this world. It is world and life negation that is at the heart of their faith. So it's a harbinger of collapse. Humanism is dying all around us. That's why it's resorting to that kind of faith. Mm -hmm. Yes? Would you uh, explain a little bit more about verse 6 and uh, can I discuss why it follows the dissertation on judgment? Yes, because you have the extremes, you see, that existed then and exist now between the Pharisee and the person who wants no judgment. And therefore, no judgment is a form of judgment, really, because when you make no judgment and you want a total toleration of everything, what you are saying is, let evil triumph. Let good surrender. If you're going to be kind to a murderer, and think about his life, you're going to have contempt for the life of the murdered. So it involves a fearful kind of judgment, a particularly evil one. Does that help make it clear? I guess, uh, usually when you hear neither cast your pearls before swine, uh, you usually people suggest, you know, don't witness to people who, uh, you know, aren't going to listen to you or, uh, or will you know, smear it back in your face or whatever the case may be. Yes, it means that definitely also. You don't make a witness where a witness is inappropriate. Would that refer to the same thing as far as judgment is concerned? Don't uh, discuss someone else's uh, frailties or, or problems or whatever the case may be if they're not going to, to listen yes. to it. Yes. Don't uh, 
try to set somebody straight when there isn't any intention on their part of paying any attention to you. Yes? How does that relate then to in the case of the people preaching on the street corner with the prostitutes and drug peddlers? Yes. A good question. Now, what you would have to say is that uh, I don't agree with their methodology. I, I'll have to preface my remark with that. Nonetheless, what they are saying is that we are speaking not to everybody, but on the chance that there is one there who may hear. This is the way they justify their activity. And they do get uh, a limited amount of results from that type of street preaching. I believe there are more effectual ways of accomplishing the same thing because for the amount of energy that is expended in that type of activity, much more could be accomplished. Any other questions or comments? Well, let us uh, adjourn now. And the ladies will have our dinner ready for us shortly. <laughs>